welcome to Veritas. I'm not going to beat around the bush. If you've been with us this semester, you know we've been talking about God's mission. Simply put, God is on a mission to bless all the nations, every single one of them, and that includes Columbia, Missouri. That includes the University of Missouri. The main way that God does that is through his people. He does it through conversations. He does it through acts of service. He does it through questions. He uses us. Now, a lot of times that is crystal clear. What does it look like to bless Mizzou? It's easy. But there's other times where that's for sure not easy at all. It's confusing. It's scary. We don't know what to do. You know, in a lot of the events in the last couple weeks, that's a question that I for sure have been asking myself. How do I respond? What do I do? What do I think? Should I post on social media? Should I not? And so what we have been thinking about as a staff team, what for sure I've been thinking about is how can we bless Mizzou in this time? There's a lot of answers to that question, but I think here's a good place to start, especially for me. I've wanted to stop and listen and just listen, try and understand. Rather than stand up here and talk and claim like I have all the right answers, grab a seat and just hear from other people who really know a lot more than I do. Uh, and so this is why we are having a Q&A with Mike Higgins on race relations in America. We couldn't think of anybody better to have this conversation. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Mike to come up with his team, find a, a seat here at the table. Uh, Mike is a pastor in St. Louis of a church called South City Fellowship. Please tell me I said that right. South City Church. Gosh darn it. South City Church. Um, and he's also the dean of students at Covenant Seminary. Um, I'm going to let him explain a little bit more about what he and his team do. While they're getting settled, let me explain some of the format tonight. For the next 45 minutes, we're just going to have a conversation. Okay, I'm going to be asking him some questions. They're going to be elaborating on things. Um, was that me? Sorry. Uh, and then the last 15 minutes, we're going to give you guys a chance to uh, ask questions. We're going to hear from you. And so if you have a question right now, you want to text this number on the screen behind me, which it's on there, right? Tell me it is. Nope. It'll get there. Yes. All right. Uh, text your questions to that number. You can do it right now. Uh, you can do it halfway through. You can do it right when the Q&A starts. We'll try to get to as many of your questions as we can, so don't be offended if you don't get to all of them. I've talked for a little bit. Mike, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us who we got here. You will be. Okay, so I know some of you all uh, from the last time I did a Veritas uh, retreat. It was like uh, 250 students, uh, and I was on the one side of the camp in the Lake of the Ozarks, and you guys did something called World War V. So there was like 250 white folks in black pajamas running around, and I'm on, I'm on my phone saying, this may be the last text I'll ever send. <laughs> Just trying to loosen y'all up a little bit. We're, we're, here to, we're here to serve you. We love you. We really are here to help. So I'm Mike Higgins. As, as Austin said, I, uh, I'm a native of North St. Louis. Grew up there. I went into the uh, military. I was in the Army for about 30 years as a, a combat officer and a chaplain. Uh, came back to St. Louis as dean of students at Covenant Seminary, and now as senior pastor of South City Church uh, in uh, South St. Louis. So Saritha is here. I'm going to let them all see a little bit about themselves. She is a Covenant Seminary student on the Master's uh, of the uh, Theological Studies, MATS. 
uh, and she's doing work at uh, Harris Stowe, which is a uh, historically black college university. Sam Heist, uh, this really cool millennial with the jeans, with the cuff, he can make coffee, really. He's, he's, he's my assistant pastor. Yeah, that's right, a black baby boomer with a millennial white assistant pastor. That's how we roll the South City Church. And the next person next to him uh, is Michelle. She is a Co uh, Covenant Seminary graduate, Masters of Divinity. Uh, she is my uh, worship and outreach director at South City Church. She's also my youngest daughter. Uh, Becky Kern, who also works at South City Church, she actually is the inside person. Things really don't happen unless Becky is the one who actually pushes the buttons. And so I will let you all say whatever y'all need to add on to that. I think I did a good job, but y'all go. There's some mics there. If you want to talk in the mic, there's some mics there for you. Yep. Well, I'm pretty loud, but hi, everyone. How are you? <laughs> Yay, and I'm also so excited to be here, you guys. Um, but, yeah, it's truly a blessing to just be here on your campus talking about, like, race. That's very, I'm very new to this discussion, so I'm so excited to just share with you my experience, and hopefully you guys can, you know, get something and glean something from everybody tonight. Um, so, yeah, I'm ready to get started. Uh, yeah, like Mike said, my name is Sam Heist. I am the resident millennial pastor here tonight. Uh, and like a lot of you, probably, uh, some of these things that, that we're going to be talking about is, is, is still pretty new for me and things that I'm wrestling through and still learning. So, so don't think that you're sitting uh, and watching a bunch of folks who are experts at the subject, but we're all kind of in it together. Uh, figuring out what this actually looks like, what it looks like to uh, love each other and model uh, a community of grace and mercy like Jesus calls us to. So excited to be here tonight. I'm Michelle, and uh, I'm, I am my dad's daughter. Um, and I also, <laughs> apparently, I guess I'm the resident radical because <laughs> I am. <laughs> but I, I do want to express my deep honor and enjoyment at being present with you all here. I am involved in the Black Lives Matter movement in St. Louis and have spoken with a number of crowds that look different, think different, act different. And that is the goal. The goal, the idea, our hope here tonight is to express a deep humility that brings all of us into a place where we can participate in solidarity. Um, only, only the one will bring us to the other. So I'm very excited to be a part of this and to say boldly and happily that you matter in this conversation and take it from a radical activist. You have an important place here and I hope we get to talk about that a little more. Um, and I am Becky Kern. Um, I grew up in the suburbs in the south. I am from Nashville, Tennessee, um, moved to St. Louis. Um, I also went to Covenant Seminary and graduated in 2011 um, from there. Um, and so I've been on staff at South City for five years, and um, that has brought with it a lot of um, learning, um, changing, learning new cultures, um, city versus the suburbs, at least the suburbs I grew up in can be very different. Um, and uh, so it's been um, quite, uh, the, quite the adventure of the past few years, um, but um, it's one that I am so thankful and privileged to um, have been a part of and um, 
it's been some of the hardest things I've ever done and um, some of the best. So thank you for, for having me. It's great. Thanks for introducing yourselves. It's a uh, Covenant Seminary uh, like reunion. So yeah, go to Covenant Seminary if you want to. Um, well, so, so what I want this conversation to be, I don't want us to get into the weeds. I don't want to focus necessarily on some of the specifics like the demands or why did Wolf get fired. Not that those aren't important questions, but I want to think a little bit bigger picture. Um, you know, how do we help ourselves? How do we help students um, move forward? You know, what does faithfulness look like where we find ourselves at? Like I said, God is on a mission to bless the nations, bless Missouri. What does that look like? So that's kind of where all these questions are going to be geared towards. Let me start with this one. Um, you know, I've heard from a lot of people, it's hard, uh, specifically white folks, it's hard to understand why all the anger. And so from your perspective, can you help us understand, and Mike, let's start with you, help us understand why the anger? Where's this anger coming from? And if any of these are dumb questions, by the way, please tell me they're dumb. You did that a couple days ago, thankfully, and it's great. Tell me dumb <laughs> questions, because I need to learn. But from your perspective. I think... Um, the construct of race in the United States is really new. It's probably just a few centuries old. But the idea that people are actually subjected to uh, oppression or slavery or anything is in our terrible racial past because of skin color is pretty absurd. I mean, your skin is really, it's really thin. Mine is thin, too. But to actually be uh, categorized by something as which should be as insignificant as skin tone uh, is really, is really kind of crazy. I also believe that uh, black folk, I think what people may call angry is really just kind of, a lot of it is folks are tired. Uh, we're, we're tired of, well, we're tired of answering questions, uh, but we know we need to because there's a sense that if, if you're white, life is normal when you're not even in a race but for folk who are in minorities uh, we tend to see things from a racial standpoint because for us it's very necessary uh, we, we, we look at systems from the bottom up where we believe that whites tend to look at systems from the top down uh, I think that there's a degree of anger uh, that I really think that black folk are extremely patient people. I think we've had a long time to really come to a point of just getting really, really, really angry. Uh, and I would not say that a lot of that anger is not righteous, godly anger at what should has happened, especially in the evangelical Christian world, where in a lot of places we have forfeited the opportunity to make uh, social changes, uh, social justice changes, but we have basically just stayed inside of our churches. We've preached to folk who we're comfortable preaching to. And to be honest with you, as a, 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 a black pastor in a evangelical, uh, southern, conservative, mostly Republican denomination, uh, I usually find that race is one place that a lot of my brother white pastors don't want to go because there's actually no book of church order, there's no Westminster confession, there's really nothing that addresses race because it's so new. Believe me, when the Westminster divines were writing that confession, race is not what they were thinking about. 
race was created to perpetuate slavery and basically make sure that black children who were born to slaves stayed slaves. And believe me, in all that answer, uh, it's, it's really hard to explain anger in just one setting, but it's something that you want to probably need to talk about for years. Jump in, whoever. I'm going to piggyback on him because I know when Michelle goes, she's going to go at it. So um, he asked about he asked about like anger, and we would all have to agree that that's an emotion that all of us feel, correct? Okay, so I want you guys to almost picture like recently I had to deal with my insurance company, and there were some changes in my policy that was happening, which caused me to have to pay more money, right? So early on, since I've been with them since undergrad, you know, I was very patient with them. And I was, you know, <laughs> hey, I'm going to trust you guys because you have had my business for all these years. And I think you guys can continue to do this job well. And so after months continue to go on and it still hasn't changed and they're, you know, they're not calling me back and, you know, they're not giving me great quality, you know, and customer service. Um, Things begin to happen in me. And I was like, you know, I'm patient, but um, I don't want to be angry or upset, but, you know, you're, you're, my patience is running thin. And I think over time, my emotions begin to change, whereas before I was very optimistic on what could happen and very positive. But over time, it began to wear thin because I, I didn't feel like this company that I had been with for so long had my best interest at heart. And so there came to a point where I'm like, look, do you want my business or not? And I was angry and I was mad. And oftentimes that happens when you're just fed up. And I think when, it, when we talk about something such as an emotion as anger, this is not a racial question here. This is a human question because we all get angry. And when you get to a place where you're just fed up, things happen. It's just like, you know, when your roommate, you know, steals something and you know they stole it. You're like, wait a minute now. You get upset, yes, I know, I've been there. So, I mean, I think it's just a natural, re you know, reaction to things. And so, I wanna say that because everything you'll hear come from my mouth tonight will not be based on race, but it'll be based on a human experience because we all feel, we all have emotions, and Michelle says it so eloquently often, that we're all a, a part of the human race. We're all, and that's one race, so. Yeah, I just, I, I wanted to jump in. Um, just because I, I know that, like, hey, I'm a white dude who grew up in the western suburbs of Chicago, a pretty affluent community, uh, n not a particularly diverse community. And I know that this can be a really awkward thing to kind of enter into. And, and that's okay to just kind of acknowledge that. Like, hey, I don't really know how to start engaging this and, and start talking about it in a way because you're sort of afraid, like, oh, am I going to hurt someone's feelings? Am I going to perpetuate a problem? Am I going to offend someone? But I think the biggest thing that I have been learning, especially over the last year, I mean, I look at my life, and in some ways it's sort of like, man, I have no idea how the Lord took a guy who grew up, I mean, I'm a privileged white dude who grew up in a, a middle to upper middle class uh, white family in the suburbs of Chicago, and now I'm pastoring a church in St. Louis when all of these things have happened over the past year. Uh, and I think the biggest thing that I have been learning is just to recognize the fact that my experience is not necessarily uh, 
my experience has given me a particular set of lenses through which I see the world and see these situations. Uh, and I need to be willing to listen and learn from the experiences of other people because just because I don't necessarily see something the same way that someone else does or even like I know like one of the questions that I'm sure some of you have, have asked here because I've seen posts and stuff like that. It's like, man, how did just like a few racist individuals cause this big thing? But just the, because you don't see a larger system that's happening here, uh, a larger picture of, of racial injustice and uh, past racial harm that's happened doesn't mean that's not there. And so we need to be humble enough to listen and, and learn from the experiences and voices of folks who do have different experiences, who do have different stories, uh, do have different perspectives than we do. So I, I, I just wanted to share a little bit from my own experience. Um, so um, the question of why are black people so angry um, is something that um, I think would have been an, an honest question that I would have asked a few years ago. And um, I can remember when Trayvon Martin um, was shot in Florida. Um, and I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, can you believe that happened? He was just walking in his neighborhood. Nothing, he was just walking in his neighborhood. Um, and I remember talking to a friend and saying that and, and my own um, indignation over what had happened and the response of, yeah, I can because this is something that happens frequently. Um, and starting the journey of my own, similar to what Sam said, um, just because I did not see it, um, just because it was not for part of my normal experience does not mean, still doesn't mean um, that, it's, that it's not happening. Um, and so when you fast forward, um, and we have uh, the incident last summer with Mike Brown, um, I was then had then become this friend when people, coworkers and people said, you know, can you believe what happened? Can you believe, um, you know, that he was laying in the ground, laying on the ground for four hours uncovered in, this, in summer heat? My response can be like, sadly, I can. Um, and um, again, back to the, the statement on, on humanity um, is that, um, um, the need to listen um, to our brothers and sisters um, who are um, minorities, right? So whether that is um, the black-white conversation, um, the male-female conversations on college campuses um, that happen, um, the importance of listening to each other. And just because it might not be part of your experience does not mean it's not happening and it's not part of someone else's. That's really good. Officer, could I yep. just write quick, please? Um, the Black Lives Matter slogan. A lot of people are concerned about that slogan. Let me just, if you don't, if you, if you haven't heard it fleshed out, let me flesh it out for you. It does not mean that your life, if you're not black, does not matter. What it's saying is if black lives don't matter, none of our lives matter. If we don't understand that this is really about us being image bearers from all over the world. You don't have to be black or white. You can, uh, you, you can be Latino, you can be Asian. You, look, you can be from Pakistan. You can be from wherever you want to. The issue is this. If there's any lives that don't matter, then if we're all created in the image of God, if we're all sons of Adam and Eve, if any of our lives don't matter, Yours can't possibly matter either. 
So this is the thing. Maybe you should say Black Lives Matter too. Or don't forget Black Lives Matter. Or no, Black Lives really matter. Because a lot of times we see that slogan and we're thinking, oh man, well, so what about, uh, you know, it's kind of like somebody wrote uh, the rainforest matters. That doesn't mean the other forests don't matter. <laughs> this means the rainforest matters too. So what I'm saying is this, from my experience, my white brothers and sisters tend to look at racism as a personal thing. Right. Our family, you know, we came here in 1950, we don't use the N-word, uh, I've got black friends, or, you know, whatever. That, it's all personal. Actually, our theology is more, unfortunately, we think it's about personal piety and don't watch porn and don't get an abortion and don't, you know, it's, your, the theology of Jesus is bigger than you just not doing crazy stuff. It's about me and you. I am your brother, whether you like it or not. Uh, so it's not just, racism is not personal, it is it's systemic. I mean, you can look at statistics, everything from the, the suspension rates of black kids in preschool, public school, special education. We don't even have to get into mass incarceration of black males, which is really almost like a genocide. It is the new Jim Crow. So I just want to say that because when you see that, I mean, I saw an Asian student on the Yale campus holding up a sign that said Black Lives Matter. That brought me to tears. Because he got it. And he may be a US citizen, but the thing is like this, when especially black folk and white folk, once we understand how to dance together, it's 2015. We will do a lot to help other folk in the church say, you know what, Jesus is real. Reconciliation has to do with justice. You cannot do reconciliation without justice because that's cheap reconciliation. That's just me and you hugging, but I go back to my world and you go back to yours. Well, we ate at the bread company. That was really nice. I like the bread company. <laughs> but it's just bigger than me and you. So, and, and, and you know what, brothers and sisters? It's hard. It's, it's, it's really hard. Because you have to lose something, and I have to lose something. But for us to gain together, we got to lose. Because that's just how Jesus has worked this thing. So, so I just want to throw that. That's really good. Yeah. Uh, there's a little softball there. That's great. Um, let me ask something maybe a little more personal question. This was really, you know, for me, I started reading some of the specific stories of people and what has happened to them on the Zeus campus. And that's really where I was convicted because I had the luxury not to think about their experience. And my doppelganger, Sam, said the same thing. Uh, I'm Austin, that's Sam. Uh, but can, can you, seriously though, can you, uh, Michael, start with you. Can you shed some, uh, some light on just some of your personal experiences uh, with racism and how that has motivated you to get involved, especially in the, the in, in things going on in Ferguson as well. Well, I can just tell you, I, I tried not to get involved. Mm -hmm. But when you were in this, you know, this clever black disguise, it's kind of hard not to get involved. So, okay, so, okay, so I still, and this is going to be really quick, I still wear my dog tags. I retired from the Pentagon last year. 
Why do I still wear my dog tags? Uh, I wear my dog tags because if I'm stopped by a cop, I take them off my neck and wrap them around my rearview mirror. Because I want that cop to see that he did not just stop a random black dude, he stopped an American citizen. These are the dog tags from this armor's country. My uncle was a Tuskegee Airman. We, 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 we have the right to be treated well. I just want, and it, and it could be a great cop. I mean, he could be a pastor, I, but I don't know him. So I'm just saying, I just want to make sure he knows the chokehold would not be necessary. But I've had run-in with police. I've never been beat up by the police, nothing like that. But I have been talked to like I was seven years old. And I'm a doggone full colonel. But I have to take that crap off him because it's dark. And he got a gun. And we really don't need to escalate. And I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stories. So um, I, I have a license plate on my car. I got a really nice Chrysler 300. It, the car was black. It was designed by black folk. It is a muscle car. It is a car that when you see it, you know that a black pastor is driving. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a car with a truck engine. It has a Hemi in it. That car will eat you. But I have a license plate on my car, and this goes back to the anger issue. Why should I have to put a why should I put a vanity plate on my car that says Army Chaplain with my medal, the Legion of Merit, on that plate? Because when I get stopped, I want the cop to know he stopped an American. I shouldn't have to prove that I'm an American, but I do. And you might not ever think about it, but my, as a minority, uh, I think about the stuff that we saw on Mizzou's campus. I think about that stuff every day. So I'm sitting here, and as he's talking, I'm thinking about um, my story um, that it's probably like most of you guys in this room that I was never that girl that engaged in race conversation, um, that, you know, I, I was often raised in a majority culture where I was very much the minority um, all through from grade school all the way from to college. And even now being on Covenant's campus where I'm a handful of African-Americans on a predominantly white campus. Um, and I was always that girl that wanted to kind of just like, you know, just fit in and just kind of like not shake up anything and just kind of just, you know, not see race and not talk and engage. Oh, until I got on Covenant's campus. And it was during the time of like, yeah, <laughs> it was during the time of everything going on with Mike Brown and that whole thing. And I'm like, why are all these black people talking about race? I don't want to talk about this. Let's just be one and just love Jesus. And hey, yes, and love God. And that was me, right? And so... I couldn't get away from it. And I remember I was sharing with the group in the car that I go to this panel that we have on Covenant's campus and Michelle is speaking and she comes to me afterwards and I'm so excited to meet her because she's just awesome. And she says, hey, she says, welcome to the mission field. She says, you didn't ask for it. There's nothing you can do about it. But she's like, welcome. And it did something in the inside of me um, where, you know, I had this gut-wrenching feeling that, oh my gosh, like, this is different. Like, 
God is calling me to more than just existing and being here. He's calling me to have a voice in the midst of everything that's going on. And although your voice may be different than everyone around you, like your voice matters. And so I begin to engage more. I, I talk to more people about race and I had people ask me, what does it mean to be black? I was like, what do you mean? I, I, I've been black all my life, I don't get the question. Like, it's just, just like you being white, I don't know. I don't understand. Um, but I, I talked about it and engaged more. But one thing that made me, I say this to say, one thing that made me engage and really, um, I think, rather than turning the deaf ear like before, was that I recognized that what was going on with Mike Brown, what was going on now at Mizzou's campus and the reason I'm here today is because this issue with race and racism was a sin issue. And although it's always been a sin issue, for whatever reason, God highlighted it during that time. And so I was like, Lord, this is a sin issue. And if it matters to you, it needs to matter to me. Because if I say that I'm a Christian and I love you and I love your people, it has to matter the state of his people. And so I begin to gauge, engage more and care more because it cares to him. And so I challenge you guys, just like me, I was oblivious. And I think this is the first step, you guys being here and engaging, asking questions. There's no stupid question. Like, dude, there's no stupid question. Ask all the questions you need to ask. But engage because it matters to your father. It matters. Because all of this is going on, it's not, it's, it's a sin issue. And it's not okay. This is not what he created creation to do. He didn't. And so it has to matter. You. I got one more question. We're getting a ton of questions, so I want to make sure we have enough time. Can we hear from you, Michelle? Um, experiences with racism, I think, is the question. Start there. And yeah, we'll start there. And you know, I'm going to say a whole bunch of stuff anyway. But uh, what brought, what brings anybody into any movement? It is the will to make a change. So when I was in uh, my undergraduate, I have a bachelor's degree from another institution named Covenant. And while I was there, I spoke off and on pretty consistently, um, but at random times with a um, professor of mine who was trying to start a ministry in the city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, I might not sound like it, but Chattanooga is one city that's actually split pretty harshly into segregated pockets of black, Latino, and white predominantly. There's a growing Southeast Asian population, a growing Far East Asian population that are on the outskirts, but in the city of Chattanooga, those are the three predominant minority groups. Those are the three predominant groups. So I was talking with this professor and he said to me, I need you to teach me how to speak the language of the black. I need you to teach me how to speak Ebonics. And uh, this was 01, I think. And so the, I don't know if any of you remember. Ooh, I'm old. I remember. I'm with you. You remember the Ebonics yeah. wave? Anybody? Well, there was lots World. of articles. World. Thank you. Thank you, sir. There's lots of um, quick, quickly to update you on the story. There was a study done about the difference between dialect and language. And a pretty racialized, I think, study came out and said African Americans do not have an English dialect. They have a different language. Now, long proven, this is false, absolutely false, because what one would call Ebonics 
is equal to a southern accent, equal to you're from Boston or Baltimore, however y'all say Baltimore. Um, it, it is a dialect and not a completely different language, but in the mid to late 90s, there was a lot of argument about how you should allow black children to spell things incorrectly because it's corrected them. You should pass them on tests giving them A's if their grammar was wrong because, oh, no, 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 that's, that's a different language. What did Ebonics do to us? It gave us the liberty to be supreme over those who were not educated. And when I say us, I don't mean just white folk. I mean educated people. It created an elitism that actually was racism, covered in a pretty dress that said, I'm helping those who are underprivileged by not teaching them. I'm allowing them to write and spell however they would like. But guess what? You can't pass no SATs. You can't spell. You can't get into this school if you can't spell, right? So what we did over a long process of time was we accidentally taught people that African Americans are not American, right? So this professor was looking at me and he said, I need you to teach me this language. So I said, I have a question for you. Have you ever been to England? Let's just, any part of the UK. And when you get there, do you affect a British accent or an Irish one, depending on which aisle you're on? And he said, oh my goodness, that's ridiculous. I would never do that. I mean, Heathrow on a layover, I would never affect a British accent. I was like, okay, right, so. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna make the jump. And then he said to me, but you know, all of my Kenyan friends love it when I speak Swahili to them. So what happened? You can tell me what happened. Tell me what happened. He only saw color, right? Um, black people speak English. Black people in America speak English. Kenyans actually speak pretty darn good English. Um, and uh, they speak Swahili as well. But what he saw was just black, and so black must be a different language. At that moment, I became what I am now. And I, well, I became what I hoped at that time is what I am now, but I was 20, so who knows? Don't worry about it. You're going to make it. <laughs> At that moment, my eyes were open to something that I'll never be able to escape, and that is that you have to deal with the crazy question that, that you're faced with. Even if you're the one asking it, if you're the one answering it, it is at that minute that you become an activist. It's not a bad word. Activism simply means noticing something that's wrong and saying, this is wrong. And that is why coming into the Black Lives Matter and even in Ferguson and on and on has been second nature. And it has never been easy, but I've never been able to get away from it because I don't want to, because I keep getting reminded something's wrong and I can't just not say anything about it. That's great, thank you for sharing. Okay, last question and maybe I don't wanna truncate you, but like I said, we are yes. brimming with lots of questions. Um, how can college students, how can white students grow in our maturity of race and race relations? What would you say? I would say that you're going to have to really listen to people who are in minorities, uh, 
you're going to have to be willing to, I'll put it like this, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King said there were four things that you needed to have nonviolent social change. He wrote it in his letter uh, from the Birmingham jail in 1963. And he said, first you need to investigate. In other words, what's true? I mean, are the sociologists, are they all crazy? Or, or is there no systemic racism? Or are we just making that up? So the first thing you do is you investigate and you find out what's really true. I can tell you what you're going to find, but I will let you do that on your own. The, the next thing you do is you negotiate. In other words, you basically, and I'm talking about you as an individual. Okay, what do I think about this? Okay, is my church talking about this? Uh, it, the group that I hang out with, are we talking about this? Why, why don't we have somebody in our group who knows about this? Do we have any black friends who like being black? just saying. So you, uh, you investigate, you negotiate. The, the next thing is self-purification. This is the hard part. This is saying, what am I willing to lose to really understand what's going on in that world over there? Because brothers and sisters, like I always say, race is like being in a big room. You can't get out of it. Now, it's big enough that you can go and talk and have your sex with people over there. Like if all the black folks say, well, we want to stay together. It's a big enough room that you can probably get to your clique or your group or whatever. But you can't get out of this room. There ain't no doors and there ain't no windows. So that self-purification is what am I willing to lose like Jesus so that I can actually go to Samaria? The last thing is direct action. Direct action is saying, this is what I'm going to do because I've counted up the cost and I am going to learn. I'm going to have real relationships and it, it takes a while. So there's really no, there's no, there's no silver bullet to kill this werewolf. This werewolf dies very slowly. Uh, yeah. Let's, that, that's really good. I, hate, I, I really hate to cut you guys off. We've got a lot of questions, and so what I think they're going to do is put them on the screen. I'll go ahead and read them. Okay. And anybody, jump in. If you're chomping at the bit to answer one, um, please do that. Um, one second. See, I've got the little... I'll let you guys get the, on the iPhone, little dots moving. Oh, here we go. Okay. First question, what should we do with white privilege, and is it a problem? Yeah, where's the exits um, at? Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so white privilege is a reality. Um, there is a lot that can go into that. Um, but um, we are a majority culture, right? And so therefore there are things our culture, um, the American system um, is set up um, in a lot of ways to um, to further the majority culture, to make money off of the majority culture. Um, and so um, I think that one thing that's helpful is um, not to get angry that that necessarily exists, um, but to see it, acknowledge it. Um, I, um, at the end of last summer, or towards the end of last summer, it was like a beautiful night and 
we had been doing a lot of prayer services and a lot of panels and a lot of handing out water bottles at the you know QT that had been burned down and on the streets and in people's homes and and uh, I had a night where I just was like I can't I just can't handle any more of it I can't handle any more of it so I called up some friends and we went and, and we were um, outside having dinner and um, and I was like I just don't want to think about it anymore I don't want to think about it anymore and driving home um, I started thinking and I realized um, I think I had told Michelle this the next day um, by the time I got home I was just in tears because what I realized was, I can do that. I can, I can just say, I don't want to think about it anymore, right? So when you guys go out of here, there's no, pro- there's no problem with going and getting ice cream after this or going and get donuts or whatever is around here. There's no problem with that. Um, but, the, but, but allowing yourself to be honest enough to say, I cannot think about this if I don't want to. And that's, I think, what, what, what Pastor Mike is talking about, of, of, of being honest with yourself. And starting there um, uh, is, is a really hard place, um, but I think it's something that is really, really important um, to do. Um, and um, because with great privilege comes great responsibility. Um, and it's, um, it can be a good thing when used for good. Um, so that's my yeah. Go ahead, Michelle. I want to clear up or reiterate, I know so many of us have heard that privilege has nothing to do with the amount of money that your parents make, right? And maybe you've heard that a few times, but I want to reiterate it and I want to make plain and even highlight the fact that some folks who are white or would identify as white, uh, as they were maybe raised in underprivileged, quote unquote, underprivileged homes, they realize that being underprivileged financially all of a sudden doesn't matter to these people who are asking them to do something with their white privilege. That's really, that's a hard thing to come face to face with as uh, a a person in the majority culture. So I want to really drive home that privilege and luxury when we use them in terms of a movement towards equity and social justice, we use these terms to mean that you have the ability to, like Becky said, walk away or shut down on certain conversations and not wonder. More than that, you are a part of what the United States of America calls normal. So when I go shopping and I need some makeup or some shampoo, I can't buy the package that says normal because the blush, the lipstick, the sunscreen (laughs) that says normal was not made for me. I have to buy the package that says dark or curly. And maybe some of you, my white sisters and brothers, have to buy the curly package too. Embrace that mess. Okay, curly is awesome. But I want to remind you that blonde is beautiful, but blonde is not normal. Do you see where I'm going? Uh, Black is beautiful, but black is not normal. Black is black, right? White is beautiful but white is not normal. And what we have accidentally created in this country is the idea that the norm belongs to a minority of people. I think if we would embrace the fact that whiteness is in the minority globally, then we might be able to embrace a humility that brings us into solidarity with others who also share a minority. To be a global minority is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. 
Because when you accept it, when you embrace it, you can finally realize you do have a stake and a place in this struggle. And your place is to stand right next to somebody else who identifies as a minority. So yes, privilege is a problem, but it's only a problem if you manipulate it for your own gain. Privilege is something we can't get rid of. But if you manipulate it for the benefit of those who do not have privilege, if you choose to say to your friends, I can't change the way this shampoo bottle is labeled. I'm sorry. But I will, when I have kids or, what, or when I take my baby cousin shopping, I will tell them, that's messed up that this shampoo bottle is labeled that way. Manipulate your privilege for the benefit of those who have none and never will. And then it won't be a problem. I want everyone to take a really deep breath in for a second, okay? No, I'm serious. Like, take a deep breath in. You do not have to feel guilty about your white privilege. You, you can breathe out now. Oh, wait. Uh, I just want to, like, put that out there because I know that this is one of those things. This is, I mean, it's, it's awkward when we start talking about this, and, and it is easy to all of a sudden hear the term white privilege and jump to white guilt. Um, but I think for probably most of us in the room, like, you know, it's not like we, none of us have the ability to choose what our skin color is right. when we're born. It's something that we've received. It's not something that we're actually clamoring for. Uh, and, and the reality is, like, we live in a country, I, I was just reading a statistic the other day that said that over the course of, like, an average lifespan, uh, over the course for the average person, white skin in terms of the opportunities that it provides, in terms of uh, the doors that it opens, is worth literally like a million dollars over the course of an average lifespan for a white person. Uh, that, that's just the reality. Um, and, and that's not something we have to pretend isn't the case in our country. That's something that we can just acknowledge and say, okay, I have this privilege. I have been given uh, this, I've received this sort of status in our country, how am I going to use that for the blessing and the benefit of others? Again, it's not something that you have to feel guilty about. It's not something that you have to hide and pretend isn't there. Uh, in fact, it's probably more harmful uh, if you're trying to hide it or pretend that it's not there. Uh, but instead, really say, hey, what has the Lord given me uh, and how can I use that to be a blessing to the folks around me? So. That's really good. We got another question here. Sorry about that. A lot of people feel confused about language and terms around race. Help us understand how minority races hear different words and how majority culture can speak with love and respect. Maybe hear from a couple of you. It's, uh, you want me to read it again? Does that make sense? Example of the words? Yeah, so a lot of people feel confused about language and terms around race. Help us understand. Oh, it went love and respect. So maybe are there certain words that you hear maybe misunderstood? Are there certain words that, let's say, white folks need to understand? Well, that I think a good, I did a, um, about five years ago, I did a talk at Harris Stowe uh, University, and the name of the topic was, what is black? So when you hear the word black, I mean, what do you think about? It? I mean, if, uh, because to me, it would describe I mean, it would describe the race that I have been given. Uh, and 
issue is, but you can take black and make some good things. I mean, I grew up with the Motown sound. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I can barbecue over charcoal, uh, but since I'm in the PCA, I also have to be able to barbecue over gas grill cheese. <laughs> uh, but for a lot of folk, when you say black, it turns magic bad. It turns ops into something invisible. Uh, so I don't know, it, but like I say, Black Lives Matter, that could be one phrase that most folk, ooh, and there are black folk who cringe at Black Lives Matter because like, so what does that mean? Is it they're just saying we matter? So I think a lot of times if you say, well, how can we grow in our understanding of the language that we use, I think you really just have to have relationships and see what, what I feel like my job is at Covenant Seminary and at uh, South City Church, I believe that the Lord has given me, whether I want it or not, because Jesus never reads any of my memos or takes any of my suggestions, <laughs> but I think what Jesus has said is, I'm going to take, take a black dude from the hood, and I'm going to run you through the military because you joined the army to get away from North St. Louis. We're going we're gonna to do our military thing. We'll have a little fun. And I'm going to bring you back to St. Louis. And I want you to be the black father figure or big brother figure to a lot of young folk, mostly white, because I want you to create a safe space for them to talk about race and ask questions that may be kind of dumb. But if you don't know the answer, the question ain't dumb. So we got to create safe spaces because if you don't feel safe with me or if you feel like as soon as you ask a question, I'm just going to say, now, that's just a stupid white person question. No, I have to say, okay, and it may be, but I'm not going to say that to you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, I, it, yeah, y'all go ahead because okay. I forgot what I was talking about. <laughs> I'm tired. Sometimes a man needs a sandwich. What? Are you okay? I don't know what's happening um, behind you. Somebody <coughs> hit a button. Patrick's fixing yeah. it. Keep going, Michelle. So, um, so I do want to make very plain that this, to me, sounds like a question that could happen in a beautiful way in relationship, in a relationship that might start out kind of awkward or it might start out um, just blatantly, hey, I need to learn more about people who don't share my same narrative. I need to learn more about people for whom normal would be defined differently than the way I define it. So I would encourage you, uh, the question asker and those who relate to this question, to go and seek out people and ask them straight up. Now it's going to hurt. How many of you have actually done what I just recommended? Think about it. You don't have to raise your hand. But uh, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes you'll get, you know, the actual teeth sucking, right? <laughs> Have you heard it yet? Have you practiced the chicken neck? Because it happens. Because awkward happens when we try to break down walls. Awkward happens when we try to break down walls. And you are called to a few things as a child of God. You are called to take your body, your physical body, and put it in the place where Jesus put his body for you between two groups that hate each other. You are called to put yourself in an area of hostility so that you might be a vessel of peace. And a huge part of that is simply asking the awkward question. And that awkward question is going to be, 
how come this word bothers you? And that awkward question might also be, can you forgive me for associating black with poor? That awkward question might be for someone who looks like me, can you forgive me for associating white with smarty pants or rich? That awkward question is going to lead to an awkward conversation. It's going to lead to a wiggly sort of friendship that is being molded into a new building of worship for God for all eternity. Amen. Hallelujah. So what are the words that we're uncomfortable with? Find them. Find them and name them and ask awkwardly about them. Because in that conversation, in that relationship, you will be tearing down the walls. That's really good. Uh, last question. I think it's a, it's a really honest one. So thanks to whoever asked this, and I think a good transition. How do I talk to skeptical family about the events on campus during Thanksgiving break? How do you have that? There it is. Okay, Props I'm leaving. Let me take this stuff off me. Uh, let's see. <laughs> And this will, be, this will be the last one, so okay. whoever. Let me just say this. Uh, for some of you, uh, you will be wrestling with what I call a prophetic voice that's on the inside of your head. Because some of you, uh, are, and I don't know any of the family you're going back to to celebrate Thanksgiving or whatever, but for some of you, maybe for many of you, uh, you may live in a house where they use the N-word. Or you may live in a house where everything is fine or just as long as you don't associate with those people or as long as you don't get involved with that stuff on campus. Uh, and your, your, your folks want you to be safe. I mean, I mean, Michelle, she, sometimes she's in places and I'm looking at TV, I'm like, is that Michelle? Um, so, uh, but, 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 but we, but we have both been put in the same federal lockup together because I want my daughter to stand for right. I mean, it, it, it yeah, I think the answer to this question is, is going to be between probably you and Jesus and some people who you really love and but they may not understand. Don't punish folks because they don't understand. And please do not punish your older family members because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters, it's really difficult if you are a mom or a grandparent and all of a sudden you realize that you, your grandchild or your daughter or your son or your, is telling you that, you know what, when it comes to race, I think you missed it. Nobody wants to go to their grave. And, and maybe they did miss it. But you have to ask the Lord for wisdom to actually live, live before them in a way that you are prophetic because you believe this is what the Lord is speaking through me and to my group. But don't punish people because they don't understand. This is not about punishment. It's about education and for a lot of us, education is really difficult because I'm not talking about, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. I'm talking about education on what it means to be an image bearer. And not, not to be evangelical, not to be reformed, not to be Christian, not to be, I'm just, you, 
Why can't we just be human? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a pastor. I believe in being a Christian. I believe in being evangelical. I believe in preaching the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. I believe that the Bible is right. But there's one part of being an evangelical that if you leave this out, you're not really an evangelical. And that is activism. And it's not always carrying a sign, getting up. Jesus was an activist because he actually did what he said. So I don't care activism for you might be stirring up macaroni and cheese for the children's church. If that's what you want to do, that's what you do. So when you go back home, I'm just, you know, but and I just want to say that this we could do this every day for the entire year. And we'll still not answer questions that will be complete. This is a long process, but it's worth it. Um, I, I just wanted to jump in because I've had conversations like this, and it's sort of it's hard to know exactly how to address those things. Um, so I don't have like a silver bullet, like this is what you need to say, this is what you need to do. Uh, but I think the, my best piece of advice is don't be afraid of tension. Because uh, usually when we are experiencing tension, uh, it's either the result of sin on my part or on someone else's part or just the reality of life uh, in a broken and fallen world. Um, but when we're actually willing to enter into those places of tension and be humble and say, hey, I don't actually necessarily know what I should be doing or what I should be saying, but I know that this is what the gospel calls me to, uh, when we're actually willing to enter into those places of tension, that's usually where Jesus does his best work. So, Great. Um, gosh, time flies. Uh, I wish, like you said, we could have you back next week and the week after that. But it's probably going to be a long time before you all come back here. <laughs> so parting words for us here. What, what do you want to leave us with? Uh, can we take some of that pizza home? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. We bought it for uh, you. Got to get ahead of the selfish people, Look, though. Let me tell you. Okay, this is this is what I want to leave you with. Um, okay. uh, Look, he could have been a priest. Or family. Most of you have never seen us before, but you'll never forget us. And it's not because we're impressive. Believe me, uh, well, they are. Uh, but I just want to say, some of you have prayed and said, Lord, I really, I really want to know you. I really want to be used by you. And there's a song that says, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it all. I hope you get it all. It's, it's, it's going to be worth it. I mean, uh, Missouri as a state, St. Louis as a city, is actually being looked to to lead our nation somewhere. But let me tell you, without white folks working with minorities, it really takes a long time. But when Sam, who has privilege one way, and I actually have privilege another way, 
We need to work together. That's why when Jesus put all them folk together, them 12 disciples, they were so different, it was crazy. But that's the purpose of the gospel. It's bigger. The gospel is bigger than race. But race is a big thing. And I said it before, it's big because the United States has made it big. I love my country. I've served my country. There's nobody, I, I never go to any white churches and find anybody that's more patriotic than me. I was in the Army 33 years. So the issue is not, I don't like the country. But I'll say this and stop. When Michelle and I were locked up on the 10th of August this year for protesting because we thought that the Department of Justice that wrote a report about the 91 municipalities around St. Louis were not acting on the report that they wrote. We said, we want to talk to the, the Eastern Missouri District Attorney. Of course, we got arrested because we didn't have an appointment. But while they were actually swabbing me and checking every, uh, well, while they were, you know, uh, my ID card fell out of my pocket and Federal Marshal picked it up and he said, so Colonel, what are you doing here? And it was very cordial. I said, let me tell you, I'm here. The same reason that I'm here in Columbia, Missouri. I said, I'm here because this country can do better. I said, I'm pulling for us. We can actually do better. And how do we do better? By doing what we're doing right here, saying we can do better. And as Christians, we got to believe we can do better. If not, then the church is just one place where we come together, sing some songs, hug each other, and say, wow, okay, well, what's next? So that's why we're here. I want to leave you with that. By the grace of Jesus Christ, we will be better. Thanks, all. Give a round of applause for that. Mm -hmm.